Hey, good morning, crowd family, and happy, happy Sunday. I want to give a shout out to everyone who's been watching us and listening to us online. God bless you all. Love you. If you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 is today's text. Again, verses 26 to 31 is today's text. We're now in part four of our series, Undivided. Now, before we dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, verses 18 through 25. And, and there in the text, Paul dealt with the presentation of the gospel, literally described as the foolishness of preaching. And in the text, Paul discussed the struggles many face in hearing and accepting the gospel as truth. And we saw that for some, it was a stumbling block and others considered it outright foolishness. While Paul, and while what Paul does here is he simply makes a public declaration of the Word of God and goes right to the central theme of the gospel. And he says in verse 23a, verse 23a, but we preach Christ crucified. And there Paul's declaring that it isn't great signs, miracles, or newfound wisdom, it's Christ crucified, the substitutionary sacrifice he made on behalf of sinners. He lived, died, was buried, rose from the grave. Now, though Paul had faced rejection and, and many had denied the truth and refused the gospel, there were those, there were those who had responded in faith, both Jews and Greeks. Verse 24 says this, verse 24, but to those whom God has called both, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So Paul had witnessed the salvation of those from the two of, from, from two of the most difficult cultures to reach. That's awesome, right? And then in verse 25, verse 25, Paul says this, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Now remember, Paul no way is minimizing the power of truth. He's declaring the power of God here. In fact, friends, what Paul is doing is he's, he's building a solid case for it. And you see, society declares the wisdom of God foolish when compared to the wisdom of men, Right? They proclaim God and the Bible are weak when compared to the intellectual minds and abilities of those considered knowledgeable and strong, right? So, so in appealing to their way of thinking, because that's their way of thinking, what Paul does, and I love this, what Paul does is he declares the foolishness perceived, perceived, keyword, perceived of God is much stronger than the wisest of men, and that God's perceived, perceived weakness is much stronger than the strongest and most powerful on earth. And you see, friends, the world proclaims the gospel is foolish and weak when in reality it is abundant wisdom and strength. Can someone say amen? So this now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is God Glorified. Say that, God Glorified. Three points from the text. If you're ready, say yes. Come on, say yes. Point number one is this, God's call. Write that down, God's call. And we're going to look at verse 26a. And Paul writes, verse 26a, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Did you get that? Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. So we know that Paul is writing to believers, right? We know that. He says, brothers. And he's speaking to those in the Christian community. And he calls the believers in Corinth to look at themselves and examine their effectual call. Look at the text again. Think of what you were when you were called. Now, now, say called. Come on, say called. The word called is the key to this section. And this is God's sovereign, effectual 
call to salvation, which deals with the divine side of salvation. Now listen, friends, to appreciate the full impact of our salvation, we need to understand and never forget, say never forget, that it was God who called us to be saved. He took the initiative. Our salvation, my salvation, your salvation, our salvation is gracious and supernatural from beginning to ending. So this begs the question, how do you know you're called? Well, you know you're called by responding to his call. It's divine sovereignty, God calling you, and human responsibility, you're responding to his call. If you got it, say got it. Verse 26b, verse 26b. Not many of you, it's a key phrase there, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. So Paul says, Paul says, think of what you were when you were called. Look at yourselves. He's saying, look at yourselves. Uh, Consider how you were called. Take a good look at, at your own lives and see what kind of people you are by nature or by social standing. And this will prove to you that human wisdom doesn't save. And you see, they were not wise. They were not mighty or noble. God called them. Listen now, God called them not because of what they were, but in spite of what they were. These were simple, common, plain people. So Paul tells them, God in his wisdom had chosen not to call many from among the intelligent. Or we can say the the influential or affluential, the powerful or nobility in the city of Corinth. You see, not many of these kinds of upper-class People are called. And the reason is, friends, the reason is because they see no need for a Savior as they exalt themselves in their own efforts and attainments. It's all about them. It's all about their kingdom. It's all about their wisdom. It's all about their will. It's all about their way. And here in the text, Paul's point is that the things which elevate people in the world, such as knowledge, influence, affluence, and rank, are not the things which motivate God to call people to salvation. You see, the issue the issue here is that the upper class are less likely to admit that they are sinners in need of a Savior. And they want to save themselves by working their way to heaven, but they can't do it. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, write that down, Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you get that? It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now that's not because there's anything wrong with riches or with having riches. Rather, what makes it hard for for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven is that riches tend to make a person self-sufficient. In the same way, education is a good thing. It's a very good thing, friends, okay? There's nothing wrong with education. But we need to be very, very careful because lots of education, lots of education tends to make us feel that we can figure things out by ourselves. Now, let me tell you something, friends, and I want you to listen here. God is not impressed. He is not impressed with our achievements, our social position, our talents, our giftedness, our abilities, our financial status, our looks, or our natural heritage. None of that stuff moves the heart of God. None of it. Got it? I just want to say that. Now, I want you to notice, Paul didn't say not any of you, right? 
rather, not many of you, right? He didn't say not any of you, rather, not many of you. You see, God does, he does call some from the upper class. He called Sosthenes and Crispus, who had been chief rulers in the synagogue. He called Erastus, who was the city treasurer. He called Gaius and and Chloe, who were wealthy business people. So he does, God does call some from the upper class. Queen Elizabeth I, who was a Bible-believing, Christ-loving Christian, said that she never read this verse without stopping and praising God for the fact that she, cultured and a person of power and noble birth, was among the not many who were called by God for salvation. It's awesome, right? It's awesome. So they were those who of the upper class that got saved, but the vast majority of the Christians at Corinth were common, ordinary people who got saved those the world regards as foolish. Uh, Many were considered riff-raff scum of society. Uh, Many were slaves or of the working class. They were the little people of the world. In Luke chapter 5, verse 32, write that down, Luke 5, 32, it says that God calls the sinner, not the righteous. And I love that. He takes, this now, he takes hell-deserving sinners and makes them trophies of his grace, transforming Transforming them, transforming them into the image of Christ. And you know what? This is contrary. This is so contrary to all human logic and reasoning. Now, what comes to mind are the 12 disciples. Remember those guys, the 12 disciples? Okay, They were men from the lower walks of life. Fishermen, uh, tax collectors, Galilean peasants. I mean, Judas was the only one out of the 12 who, moved, who, proved, me, who proved to be a traitor and an apostate. But these guys, they were men from the lower walks of life. And yet God called them. God called them. Number one is God's call. Number two, I love this, is God's choice. Say that. God's choice. Write that down. God's choice. Because here, here, Paul is trying to show that God can use all sorts of people, not just the intellectuals. God chooses to work his wonders. Listen now, through people who are, from a human viewpoint, the most unpromising. So notice what God does. And there's five subpoints here. Write them down. God chooses, first subpoint, the foolish. The foolish. Write that down, the foolish. God chooses the foolish. And look at verse 27a with me, verse 27a. Paul writes, but God chose the foolish things, there it is, of the world to shame the wise. Now, the word foolish indicates that God saves and uses the type of person that the world views as moronic. Remember that word, moronic, friends? That's where we get our word moron from. The word implies that the world views this person as, listen now, as ridiculous, ignorant, stupid, contemptible, sluggish, and dull of mind. So Paul is simply saying, I love this, Paul is simply saying, God chooses and uses the dumb to bewilder the brilliant. Now, now, this is not a critical remark. Okay, you got that? It's not a crit- critical remark. It's merely a statement of fact that God can use anyone. Someone say amen. And you see, people who feel inadequate and even foolish can be more successful in life than those more intelligent and more educated. Why? Why? Because they are aware of their limitations, therefore they trust God more. So 
God chooses the foolish. The second, second subpoint is the feeble. Write that down, the feeble. God chooses the feeble. Verse 27b, God chose the weak things, weak things, there it is, of the world to shame the strong. Weak literally means those who are physically weak, right? Uh, the, the feeble, the frail. Listen, God loves to save and develop and use people who are sick, without strength, the very feeble. Now we know, right, that society often embraces and celebrates the strong and the mighty, right? We know that. But those who are weak are often belittled and even shunned upon. But the text says, and I love this, the text says God, God ch ch chose the weak things, chose the weak things of the world to shame the wise. The third subpoint is the forsaken. Write that down, the forsaken. God chooses the forsaken. He chooses the foolish, the feeble, the forsaken. Look at verse 28a, verse 28a. He chose the lowly things. There it is, the lowly things of this world. Paul now speaks of the lowly things, the base things. These are characterized as being lower class, insignificant. Those at the bottom of the social ladder, those who have hit rock bottom and are without hope. Well, well, God chooses and uses them to bring down the high and mighty. The fourth subpoint is the failures. Write that down, the failures. God chooses the failures. Look at verse 28b. Verse 28b, and the despised things. There it is, the despised things. The word despised refers to one who is viewed in a contemptible manner. And friends, society looks at these type of people as complete failures, and they're viewed as those who have nothing of value to contribute. They're complete and utter failures in the eyes of society. Now, now I'm going to say this. I, I am so glad. I don't know about you, but I am so glad that God doesn't see us as the world does. God, listen now, God saw worth in me. God saw worth in you. God saw worth in us. Someone say amen. You see, friends, I love the fact that God chooses and uses the failures in this life to bring about His divine purpose and reveal His amazing glory. And the fifth subpoint is the forbidden. The forbidden. God chooses the forbidden. The foolish, the feeble, the forsaken, the failures, and the forbidden. And look at verse 28c. 28c. And the things that are not. There it is. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God chooses, love this, and uses those who appear to be a zero in life. Who are completely invisible to society. He delights in choosing the things that are not. I'm going to say that again. He delights. He delights in choosing the things that are not. Now, the word nullify means to abolish. It means to render inoperative. It means to make invalid. Follow me. God nullifies the mighty by using the foolish, the weak, the lowly, the despised, things that are not instead. Follow me here. Stay with me here. Listen. He nullifies the proud by using the humble. He nullifies the wise by using the simple. He nullifies the professional by using the blue-collar worker. He nullifies a PhD by using the high school dropout. God's nullification 
demonstrates how fundamentally different he is from us. Now, what comes to mind is Israel. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 8, Deuteronomy 7, verses 7 through 8, Moses reminded the people of Israel, he said this, The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand. So he chose them so that he could, listen now, he, God, could reveal his love to the world through them. Not because they were great. Okay, not because they were someone special. He chose them. He chose them. Got it? And he wanted to use them. So here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. There it is. God can use us. Love that. God can use us. God loves to use, listen now, ordinary, foolish people. People who will follow Jesus Christ. You know, I'm reminded in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts 4, verse 13. When Peter and John had been arrested at the beginning of the church, they were put on trial before the Jewish religious leaders. Now, now Peter and John were not exactly trained in the best schools. They were not really educated. They were simple fishermen. Yet, they blew away the Sanhedrin with their answer. It says this, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with, with Jesus. Amen? Jesus tells us in Matthew 11, chapter 11, verse 11, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, he says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Listen, John the Baptist had no formal education, no professional training, no money, no military rank, no political position, no social pedigree, no prestige, no impressive appearance or speech. And yet God used him. He met none. John the Baptist met none of the standards, uh, none of the world's standards, but he met all the God's standards. And what he achieved, John the Baptist, was all to the credit of God's power. Listen, John the Baptist lit a fire, lit a fire in Israel in preparation for the coming Messiah. And God sovereignly chose to use him. And Jesus promises that God will make each of us greater than John the Baptist in terms of spiritual impact. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. One thing that makes me question God is Him choosing me and using me. I'm blown away that He would choose me and even use me. Let's move on, verse 29. So that no one may boast before Him. So that no one, no one means no one, may boast before Him. Listen, God won't tolerate pride. Got it? So He chooses people who will have nothing to brag about. Now, now, no doubt, no doubt, many of the, of the Corinthian believers were beginning to think of themselves in higher terms because of God's work in them. They thought they were all that. Well, Paul won't allow this. And he's reminding them that they haven't been chosen because they're so great, rather because God is so great. 
And this is the end result, friends. No one will stand before God and say, I figured you out, God. And God, you know what? You did, I, God, I did great things for you. No one can ever boast or brag about their own self-achievement. Got it? You see, God's ways are greater and higher and nothing of flesh, nothing of flesh will glory in his presence. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, say amen. None, none of us have any reason to boast before God. He has not, listen now, chosen us based on our abilities, our worth, or our merit. He has chosen us because he is gracious and long-suffering. Now, there's a lesson. Here's a lesson. The lesson is this. Don't forget our junkyard beginnings. Did you hear that? Don't forget our junkyard beginnings. Hey, listen now. You may be that, but you're not but you're not all that. Got it? You may be that, but you're not all that. You see, we think that God performed a great work in us because we gave him high quality material to work with. And you know what? You and I would be fools to believe that. We are depraved, worthless people. We are junk. Listen, out of his grace, say that, out of his grace, God stoops and saves the nobodies, the nothings, and the junk. And that's what I love about God. You see, God is the artist, not us. He is. God is the artist, not us. He is. And he is such an artist that he can take and mold our worthless lives and turn them into priceless works of art. Therefore, the artist, not the art, gets the honor, gets the glory. I'm going to say it again. The artist, not the art, gets the honor and gets the glory. Listen, when someone compliments you on your walk, on your Christian walk, how you live, how you love, how you serve, listen now, you need to point to the artist, not the art. Got it? My mom and dad have always taught me that when someone compliments you, mijo, you always say, praise God. Give glory and honor to the artist, not the art. Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says this, For by grace, we know this, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Listen, and that not of yourselves. It is a what? A gift. Say gift. A gift of God. Not as a result of works. Did you get that? That no one should boast. There it is, that no one should boast. And he says this, Paul says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So that makes, listen, that makes it very clear that we couldn't save ourselves, right? And that makes it clear that God is the one who accomplishes whatever good effect that you and I have. He prepares the good works. We just show up for them. Isn't that awesome? We just show up for them. God's call, God's choice. And point number three is God placing us in Christ. God placing us in Christ. Verse 30. Verse 30. God placing us in Christ. Verse 30. It is because of him, speaking of God, that you are in Christ Jesus. I want to stop there. Did you get that? Did you get that? It is because of him, God, speaking of God, that you are in Christ Jesus. The very reason any believer is in Christ, friends, is told because of God's sovereign work in the believer. God is the source, listen now, is the ultimate source of our salvation. 
And I want to tell you, friends, the reason God does what He does is to demonstrate that He and He alone is the source of our salvation. Listen, our being in Christ is altogether God's work. Our conversion, our saving union with Christ is not the result of something we've done. Follow me here, friends. We are, in, we, we are not We are not in Christ because we are wiser or better than others. It's not our wisdom or our intellect that brought us to Jesus. Friends, listen now. We're not Christians. We're not Christians because we're good. We're not Christians because we're church members. Paul says it's because of God. Salvation is of the Lord. Listen, friends, God wants us to know that He is the reason we came to Christ, the reason we are in Christ. God placed us, God put us in Christ. Salvation is His work and His work alone. Now, I want you to notice something. I love this. I love the text. Notice the four provisions, the four provisions that we as believers have in Christ. So I want, want you to read on verse 30. Just read on verse 30. Who has become for us wisdom from God. Did you get that? In Christ, right? In Christ. So let's read the whole text. It is, it is because of him, God, that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom. Say wisdom from God. That's the first provision. Wisdom from God. I want you to write this down, Colossians chapter 2. If you're still with me, say amen. Colossians 2, verses 1 through 3. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And Paul writes, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And this is what he says. Here it is. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're saved, say amen. Come on, say amen. Jesus perfectly shows us in his teaching in life God's wisdom. God's wisdom, listen now, is received in and through the person of Jesus Christ. Listen, friends, we weren't wise enough to get saved on our own. It was, listen now, the wisdom of God that brought us into his family. But we're also given, I love this, we're also given God's wisdom to replace our own wisdom. Did you get that? We are also given God's wisdom to replace our own wisdom. You see, with his wisdom, with his wisdom, we will be able to distinguish truth from lies. With his wisdom, we will grow in the ability to separate the important from the unimportant in life. With his wisdom, we will have the ability to put things in proper perspective. With his wisdom, we will have the ability to blend truth and love, to be honest, but also patient and gracious with people. Now notice the next provision. Let's read on, verse 30. That is our righteousness. Our righteousness. That's the second provision. Our righteousness. It means that we are, we are declared not guilty. The righteous deeds and character of Jesus are counted to us. Listen, friends, we don't become righteous by focusing on ourselves because Jesus became righteous for, became for us righteousness. Notice the next provision, the third one. Is holiness. It might also be rendered as sanctification. Uh, that means being set apart, consecrated, uh, made holy. It speaks of our behavior and how we are to be separate from the world and unto God. Now, I want to tell you and let you know, you, you probably know this, but in God's eyes, in His eyes, friends, we're already 100% positionally, 
positionally holy, positionally sanctified. And that occurs at the time of initial salvation. It's a one-time event. And this is when God imputes or places in us the perfect righteousness of Christ in our lives. Now, once we have been positionally, positionally holy, positionally sanctified, the process of practical, practical, say that, practical holiness, practical sanctification begins. Follow me here. Practical holiness, practical sanctification is a lifelong process of becoming more Christ-like as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and yield to His control. You see, friends, once we are listen, once we are positionally sanctified, positionally sanctified, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to practically sanctify us. Did you get it? John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word, your word is truth. You see, in day-to-day living, stay with me now, the character of Christ is gradually revealed in us more and more and more the longer we're in relationship with Him as we learn how to handle life according to God's wisdom. And we'll become more patient, more loving, more forgiving, more kind, more gentle, more Christ-like. It's a lifelong process. Listen, friends, we are sanctified We are set apart to God for worship, for godliness, for witnessing, and for service. The next provision, which is the fourth provision, he says, Paul writes, and redemption. And redemption. The idea is that we have been purchased to permanent freedom. Gosh, I love that. We have been purchased to permanent freedom. It looks not only to the fact at the fact that we have been purchased out of the slave market of sin and set free, but also, but also, friends, at the final redemption from the presence of sin. This is when we will finally be in the presence of Jesus for all eternity. Freedom. Say freedom, freedom, ultimate freedom in glory from the presence of sin. Now, if you're saved, if you're saved, say righteousness. Say holiness, say redemption. Say it again. Say righteousness, holiness, redemption. Right there, right there, we have the three tenses of salvation. So I want you to follow me here, okay? We have been saved, okay? We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's righteousness. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's righteousness. We are being saved. We are being saved from the power of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. That's holiness or slash sanctification. The third thing is this. Listen now. We will be saved. We will be saved from the presence of sin. Again, we will be saved from the presence of sin. That's redemption. Got it? We have been saved from the penalty of sin, righteousness. We are being saved from the power of sin, that's holiness, sanctification. We will be saved from the presence of sin, that's redemption. As believers, as saved believers, we have all these provisions, all these blessings in Christ. Good place to say amen. Now, there's a lesson. We always have a lesson. And here's the lesson. Recognize our position in Christ. Got that? Recognize our position in Christ. In Christ. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, friends, when we are in Christ, we will find these provisions, these blessings growing 
in our lives. Wisdom, learning how to apply God's word. Righteousness, we will be, be learning to do the right thing. Sanctification, we will let God purify our lives. Redemption, we will find that he has paid the price to free us from our slavery to sin. If you got it, say amen. Verse 31, verse 31, if you're still with me, say amen. Verse 31, therefore, love what Paul writes here, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Underline that, highlight that, circle that. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And Paul uses this reference to Jeremiah 9, chapter 9, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24, Jeremiah 9, 23 to 24, to show that God did it all this way so that he, God, would get the glory. And it says this in Jeremiah 9, 23, and verses 24, this is what the Lord says, let no, excuse me, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast in, of their strength or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. Look at the text again. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Listen, God has provided a complete, perfect, gracious, and supernatural salvation for undeserving sinners. Therefore, there can be no boasting on man's part. Got it? No boasting whatsoever on man's part. Human wisdom had nothing to do, this is now, with the salvation of the Corinthian, Corinthian believers and has nothing to do with my salvation or your salvation. Therefore, the believers at Corinth, as well as all believers, shouldn't be exalting men, they should be exalting God. You see, man's wisdom leaves men to boast in man. God's wisdom leaves man only to boast in God. Now I want you to get this, okay? And I want you to get this. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of man in the area of salvation, are fundamentally opposed to one another. There could be no middle ground between the two. And compromise between the two is unthinkable for a Bible-believing Christian. Got it? So, I love what Paul does here. He reminds all, all believers, all Christians, that God alone is worthy of glory and praise. He reminds, listen now, all, all Christians that our relationship with God was not motivated by our wisdom, our abilities, our financial status, or accomplishments, that God chose to extend His saving, loving grace to those He would. And man has no reason for boasting. Listen, church. In the gospel, there is no room for human philosophy to take any credit for a person being saved from their sins. This is why, and this is why the world that is in rebellion against God is offended by the gospel message and considers it, it foolishness. Considers it foolishness. There's a lesson, here's a lesson. And this is the lesson. Recognize our purpose in life. Recognize our purpose in life. Okay, not just our position in Christ, but our Purpose, recognize our purpose in life. He alone, listen now, He alone is our reason for boasting. 
Friends, all that we are and all we will ever be, we owe to him. J.A. Bingle said this, we cannot glory before him, but we can glory in him. If you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. I love that. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Come on, if you're saved, say amen. The purpose for God saving us was so that we could glorify and boast about Him. Boast about His work, His Son, His grace, His love, His mercy, His faithfulness. And you see, when we focus on boasting about Him, we focus on glorifying Him. It will change the way we look at ourselves and it will change the way that we talk about ourselves. We won't always be looking at ourselves, we'll be looking at Him. We won't always be talking about ourselves, we'll be talking about Him. You see, there is a vast difference, friends, between our view and God's view. And I want to close with this. We look at the outward. God looks at the inward. We value popularity. God values character. We look at intelligence. God looks at the heart. We honor those with money. God honors those with integrity. We talk about what we own. God talks about what we give away. We boast about whom we know. God notices whom we serve. We list our accomplishments. God looks for a contrite heart. We value education. God values wisdom. We love quantity. God notices quality. We live for fame. God searches for humility. We view, excuse me, our view is shallow. God's view is deep. Our view is temporary. God's view is eternal. Did you get it? Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God glorified. Can someone please say amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we cannot thank you and praise you enough for, for calling us, Lord, for, for choosing us and placing us in Christ. And Father, might we always appreciate and never forget the full impact of our salvation. It was you who called us to be saved. You are the source of our salvation. Therefore, let us who boast, boast in you. We give you honor, the glory, and the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Someone say amen. Listen, if, if you're out there and you're listening and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ and, and, and something's tugging at your heart, that's God calling you to himself and he wants you to respond. And if that's you, I want you to bow your heads and, and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need you to come into my life. I invite you to come into my life, to save me, to cleanse me, and to save me, and to change me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord, and I believe within my heart that God raised you from the dead. I receive you this day. I am saved, sealed, sanctified, satisfied, 
justified, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am born again. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. From this day forth, I will live for you faithfully until you call me home. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if you made that decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at cryout.org. That's at contact at cryout.org. So listen, friends, love you. I hope you have a blessed week. I miss you a whole lot. And we'll see you, as always, next week. God bless you and take care. Bye-bye.